0: You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Hello, Rob. Hi, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah? How's the kid, little Calvin? He's fantastic. Changing his underpants a lot? Uh, he still wears a diaper. Got a great guest here. Uh, you introduced me to this guy. Yep. Andrew he's- McMahon. Yeah. Um, He's got a new album, Upside Down Flowers. When does that come out?
1: Uh, that's coming out November 16th, I think they just announced.
0: Yeah, one of the best stories ever, really. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, gra- it's a great story. It's inspirational. Um, you'll hear all about it, how he uh, was playing his heart out and it just at the height of his career, really, he was just well, really starting out and having some success, and then his health just deteriorated. Yeah. And he tells that story, and it's a remarkable story, and you'll hear it from him. Uh, he plays a song. This is the first time we've had someone sing on the show. Which is, uh, it sounds really good, and you filmed it. You could probably post that somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, we'll we'll have that posted.
0: They probably will have already seen it. Inside of You is brought to you by Policy Genius. Roberto, you have insurance? We've talked about this. Um, I
1: do have insurance, but not life insurance.
0: I don't even know where to go. Here's the question. Most of the time I'm online, if, you, if I'm looking for something, it's hard to just pinpoint exactly what you're looking at, whether it's a, a pair of pants or insurance. Insurance, obviously, is more important. But for me... I need somebody to help me out. I need to, somebody to siphon through all the bullshit. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not savvy when it comes to computers. So Policy Genius, uh, it does help me. It does. I think it helps anybody who needs insurance. You get quick uh, quotes that they compare from the top life insurance companies to find the best policy for you. It takes two minutes to get a quote. Four million people have used Policy Genius to shop for insurance, Rob.
1: Yeah, it's basically an aggregator where you pick the type of insurance you're looking for, and it it gives you a bunch of options.
0: They also compare disability insurance, home insurance, and auto insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it.
1: Yep. Whether you know a lot about life insurance or nothing at all, start your search at policygenius.com. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes and make an informed decision for you and your loved ones.
0: Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Let's get inside of Andrew McMahon. It's my point of view You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I mean, you
1: have to like listen to yourself as a musician, don't you? You know, the craft of it over the years, for me, has been to find a way to like myself, like listening to myself. If that makes sense, it sort of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think when you start doing anything, when you write songs in your garage as like a as a kid, you're not really hearing yourself back, you know. And so, and so for the early days of writing, uh, you know, writing music as like a teenager, and then getting signed to record label as a teenager, and then hearing my voice back for the first time in like a professional sense, you. You know, it's shocking at first, and then.
0: Are you very critical? Just as extremely critical as you can be?
1: I don't like that. Can you auto tune me? Not really in that respect. I think, I think I've found over time that the the best recordings are when you don't overdo that stuff, and when you actually, you know, do a few really good takes, and then cut up those takes into the into the right. the, the song. But um, but certainly, like over years of being on stage and years of being in a studio, you you figure out how to sing, you know, you right. teach it. It's different than just singing, you know, uh, at, at first it's, it becomes a thing of like, okay, well this is, this is actually my instrument as a recorded device. I'm sure it's the same with like acting, you know, you, you act in theater when you're growing up or whatever. And then somebody puts a camera on you and you go, Oh, that's what I look like when I do this. Like, and that's and, and, why you take an acting for the camera class uh, in college. Yeah, well, yeah. I, luckily, I'm not. You don't. You wouldn't want to see me act, but uh, I don't
0: know. You got a lot of energy. <laughs> uh, you're enthusiastic. You're passionate. Isn't that what it takes to be an artist
1: in general? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you have to. I mean, you have to be enthusiastic and you have to have energy because you got to. You got to fight to to do what we do for a living.
0: Andrew McMahon. Thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today. This get on,
1: is, get on in there, this brother. This is a real
0: treat. How, by the way, it's like Freddy Krueger's down here. You hear the boiler? It's the okay. boiler room. It's the uh, I don't know what it is. It's the pipes down here in the basement.
1: So I, I have my. Guests. I didn't even notice. That's, you didn't even that, notice. That's my tinnitus. No, I'm just kidding. I have
0: ADD, so I notice everything. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. Well, I this noticed. is
1: also your thing, so you know when it you know when it sounds different.
0: Yeah, it's sure. fine. It's just like you know, uh, Inez is here today helping out, and uh,
1: you know the washing machine's going. Where where did you drive from? I came from uh deep south Orange County. So like right on the border of San Diego and Orange County. I'm t- you had other meetings planned today. I you have, weren't just coming to see me. I have one other meeting. Just one other meeting. Just Is it an important meeting. meeting? I mean I guess it could be. I you know, I I'm I'm no I no I'm publisher free now, so I'm sort of doing the rounds of, of... publisher free. Yeah, what yeah. does that mean? That means that you have no record label. Uh, I do pay. have a. I do have
0: a label. So like the side of the... No, there's two, right? There's the record label and the publishing side.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and for for years, like in my first band, something corporate, I I just chose not to do a publishing deal. Um, and then with Jack's Mannequin, uh, there was this great sort of young upstart publishing company that. You know, gave me a bunch of dough and said, we want to help grow your career. And and they did so. And we worked really well together. And then uh, over the course of our our sort of long relationship, which spanned from the whole career of Jack's Mannequin into, you know, this newest chapter where I'm going under my own name.
0: Andrew McMahon in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. Which is the coolest title really everyone <laughs> Thanks, who man. came up with that uh, me yeah, yeah of would, course yeah. why
1: would you do something that someone else came up with if someone else came up with that would it be stupid it's like all of my band names actually like they're not great uh and this one confused people they're like is it and the wilderness i'm like no it's in the wilderness it's me in the wilderness it's what's the, the wilderness, wilderness mean and... you know yeah then we can get into that but uh but yeah, long and short, they, they, that small publisher became like this huge giant publisher, and 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 ended up being gobbled up. And I was able to get out of my deal right before that happened. So I may do a publishing deal. I may just do it myself. Uh, Are they know, pretty lucrative? I mean, you know, the thing about all these these contracts and you know major you know business contracts in the in the music business, it's like, you know, you can sometimes get a good chunk of money up front, but you end up making less effectively you know y- y- look you know if somebody gives me a huge bag of money that i wouldn't be able to make you know for five or six years then maybe it's worth having it because you could go do things with it but but you end up basically paying that money back out of a smaller chunk that you own less of yeah. you know so, so you make
0: your money really touring that's what people do they have to tour to make money
1: yeah touring and 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 the, and the music is you know the, i sort of shifted i have been on major labels my whole life so like uh, you know, when something corporate, you know, we were coming out of high school and and drive through records was like an independent label out of Sherman Oaks here approached us. But I was we were already like in this development deal with a, a major label at the time. And and so we sort of leveraged that opportunity to get a major label deal once I kind of got and then same thing happened with Jack's Mannequin. Eventually it was like I didn't want to be on these major labels anymore because you end up having these flagpoles you have to run up for every decision or people have you know 10 different people have opinions. You didn't about feel
0: it. artistic, like I have no control over this.
1: Well, you know, it's like I did. I always would I'd always make the music in a in a bubble for the most part. I always try to really insulate the creative process, but then you finish the record and everybody has something to say. And that becomes really tough to manage, especially when sometimes people say things just so that they can feel important, you know, or feel like they had a hand in it. And not to take anything away from the people I worked with, but the the bureaucracy and the and the the sort of system of the big record company. Just felt cumbersome to me and uh and so yeah hysterically i left and and signed an indie deal with with andrew mcmahon in the wilderness and we make records really affordably and how much does a record cost i mean i've made records that have cost as much as three four hundred thousand dollars you know um and these records that i'm making now cost a lot less because we're just way more efficient like how much like how much uh you know a, a budget for for these last few records will be somewhere between like 60 grand and 100 grand.
0: Which is still a lot of money.
1: Yeah, it's it's I mean it's a chunk of money but you you know you have they have to sound great. You and know, you know what, I mean? what you're
0: doing. It's all about the producer. Of it's course. all about the production, the studio where you're going, where you feel comfortable, the songs. Totally. It's all about that.
1: And I've been fortunate that it's like though we're making records for less money, you know the caliber of people that I'm working with cuz I have a really amazing management team, uh, you know, that hasn't suffered as at all going to the independent labels. And, and, um, you know, when you make records affordably, even though people don't always make it up front which is sort of was the model of the major labels it was like these you know the producer would be like well my fee is a hundred thousand dollars you know what I mean before you even walk in the door and and I've been lucky to get a lot of these great producers willing to work you know for these lower budgets knowing that if we have a home run and and we have a big hit which we've been incentive it's yeah called and incentive. I've been I've been blessed on these last couple of records to have a couple of really big songs that you know that you you make your money on the back end and and it it tends to flow a little bit more freely because you're not spending so much to get there
0: I just started playing music I mean I've been playing music my whole life but just I never had the voice that you have so <laughs> I I acted and I wrote and I directed and I just I'd like to sing I love music more than anything and I was like God, I wish I was a rock star if I had Adam Lambert's voice boy oh, he's I, singer, I would be yeah. somewhere or your voice and so I, we started playing music and in my basement and I started right here yeah right here right, in yeah, very, right in here, right this very here in this little I basement. See some, I see some crappy drums, drums yeah. Kent plays the drums and all old friends have known each other for many years and we just said you know Carl never played the bass so yeah. G what's a G what's an A this is like a year and a half ago and he was playing Kent was playing drums and my friend was singing back And I go I don't sing but I sang because no one else would sing and yeah. Rob would play guitar and we just started doing this and then a year and a half later, we're like we played a couple songs of the Troubadour, opening up for my friend's band. We went to that's like oh it's okay, we just I mean it's just like pipe dreams, it's like a bucket list shit. And then we recorded an album. We we just that's started amazing. recording an album. So I had the first experience in a recording studio. I was so nervous. It was like yeah, as an actor, imagine you going on stage as an actor or whatever. Oh, you, it'd be terrifying. You, and me. that's how I felt. Yeah. So I'm like I'm not trained. I'm not really a great singer, but these are my songs. I feel so vulnerable. And we recorded like seven or eight songs like in three days. It's amazing, and it it was crazy, and the experience. And talk about budget. I think the budget was six thousand dollars. Yeah, (laughs) but he worked on the producer worked on incentives, sort of like, hey, you know, hopefully we'll get placement, or yeah, (laughs) you know, totally. So it's it's a it's a different beast. But like, I always think, wow, man, if we had the money, if we had the time, if we had the musical uh, ability, yeah, yeah. So listen, Andrew, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't had a lot of musicians on the show. I'm I'm mostly because I'm friends with people from the '80s. Yeah, Debbie Gibson uh why would you not have debbie Gibson? i'm gonna on? have that her on amazing. she's she's amazing she's gonna come on i'm gonna have like uh this is just a, yeah, a lot of 80s maybe air supply bitchin bitchin yeah russell hitchcock's a buddy of mine and i'm like you know i'm kind of so i didn't really know your music mostly because i don't listen to anything past 97 okay okay now i'm uh, i call it ignorance because there's a lot of great music and i do listen to some music yeah, yeah. so rob here 29 year old beautiful rob with a with oh, a child,
1: yeah, he's he a child. I, at the, I, at I, think I, I think I knew that, and Did congratulations. You
0: know? But he was talking about you, and I was like, "Oh yeah, well I don't." And I started listening to your shit. Yeah, not your shit, your music. It's okay, your you music's not you. shit. It's fine. But I really started to like it. And the first thing I thought, well, then I watched the documentary. Oh boy! Then I fell in yeah. love with you. Thanks. That's why I'm man. sitting so close to you. Yeah, I'm glad we're here together, dear Jack. And I was like, this story, if if anything it's so important i just think for everybody to watch not just because you had leukemia and you documented it but it's it's sort of a love story not only with music and your and your girlfriend who's now your wife yeah. you're still married right yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, that would have yeah, been yeah, yeah. no that no yeah, been yeah, brutal, yeah, we're still bro. going strong and your sister and your mother and your love for your uncle that passed many moons ago and who you always who's an inspiration to you but it's just like a life story that i just caught me off guard my assistant looks over at me and goes are you crying i'm like yeah (laughs) fuck you watch this it's a tough one Yeah, it's a tough one and i just see you go through these emotions of like hey i'm on camera i'm documenting and then you there's a there's a a level of where you just you, you the camera's not there almost it's like you're just this is life and i'm I'm not well and this is real and I'm not trying to be funny or whatever it's just and it just made me uh, it, it was emotional but it was a journey it was inspirational so thank you for that Yeah thanks for watching man it's Yeah a, I watched it I watched that whole thing and it was easy to watch it was you know it was just uh it was great
1: Yeah the guys who did it were were awesome it was definitely it was a painful process to get that that sort of that documentary out into the world because they, and it took a few years because it was really hard for me to watch as you can imagine, you know, and, and um, you know, I, I, I think, but it's it's something that i'm really uh, really proud of it's been a long time since i've seen it cuz it, it, I, I there was a point where i was sort of forced to watch it in screenings and, and and when it premiered and things like that and um it just brings you back there doesn't it yeah well especially at the time that we released it was really only maybe 3 years after you know the whole ordeal took place and how old uh, were you I was 22 when I was diagnosed um and you know it says it in the documentary but for your listeners like the the thing for me was like I had just had this you know i had this sort of like weird affair with my video camera you know because i i didn't i didn't have my girlfriend at the time we were broken up and all these things and 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 so my like pal that traveled with me through this uh sort of period of exploration which was you know a a breakup at at 21 or 22 and and, finishing your album and and well and also like leaving something corporate which had been a really successful band and saying i'm going to do something else which uh you know the 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 hubris of youth leads you to believe that you can do anything, which is how I felt at that point. I was like, Oh, fuck it. I'll blow up my band and, and start a new one. And, and, um, and so the camera had become my sidekick in that journey of, of, of growth and, and developing this new project and, and being out on my own and single for, for the first time since, you know, a high school or whatever. And, and, uh, and yeah, it, at the point that I got sick, it was like that camera was there and that's why it became this documentary. I didn't aim to shoot a documentary. It wasn't like, it just happened to be like you were, you were, this was your friend Then you needed to know as a guy who's always been weird about the, the, the sort of contemporary culture of, of, sort of always having a camera on yourself and, and, and uh, having to expose every moment down to like how, what, what you cooked for dinner. Uh, I was hysterically sort of early in, uh, in this sort of video blog concept. You know, I like, I was doing that when it wasn't a thing and that's kind of how this documentary ended up coming to, to be was that I've been filming all these things. Um, but yeah, when it came out, I was still, the wound was still pretty fresh. And and seeing it, I for the first time, I remember I woke up in the middle of the night and thought I was sick again because it had just oh it had God. just you know expanded all of these uh, the, the synapses that remind you of what you went through just that you're and pre- that
0: probably could be unhealthy to go back to those thoughts. No,
1: yeah, I mean, I think uh, there was a lot of stuff that I did in the aftermath of being sick that was super unhealthy, and and in some ways, I think the documentary helped me process the experience, but it was. Uh, it was definitely a tough thing to be constantly reminded of what that looked like.
0: What well, was the? You you hinted at that. You kind of threw that away. Where it was like you did some unhealthy things post sickness.
1: Oh, I was just you know I, I reckless, super reckless. Yeah, I mean I, uh, I mean in the time that I mean you can see some of the indicators in the in the in the footage of me making that record, but I mean I was. I was like high all day and I was, you know, I was, I was doing, I was doing everything you, you know, I I mean, we, yeah, we don't have to get into it. I certainly had my, my hand in just about every cookie jar at the the point that I found myself sick, you know, to the point where when I thought, when I found out I was sick, I actually thought it had something to do with. with, Oh, so you're you're
0: talking reckless, like before you got, sick? I was
1: reckless before, but when I, but when I got better, once you got healthy, you got reckless again. Times two. So, times, so you know. Times do you think 10. that
0: has to do with the psychology of? It's going to happen again. I have this in my body. Something's going to happen. I feel like I'm not whole. Is there some kind of psychology to that? Like you, you, you get like so down on yourself that I'm not this healthy young kid anymore i have this it's going to come back why not who cares let's just go live life and go extreme the road to excess leads to the palace of wisdom sort of shit
1: i mean that's in a nutshell i think the psychology of survivorship especially at a young age is uh you know it's is finally being documented in in some form but but is a very precarious sort of minefield of a million different emotions that you're not uh usually faced with at 22, you know, the, the concept of mortality and, and, um, you know, the, the these, these concepts of, of confidence, you know, usually at a, a, at a young age, especially when you're successful, you, you, you have that confidence to, to, to pursue whatever, you know, whatever ends necessary to continue being successful and the and, energy and you, have the, and you have the energy and, and so to all of a sudden have a lot of those things slip away, um, I think there was an you know an era where partying was really fun and and when I got back on my feet it, it felt fun for a while but then it, it became pretty evident that it was a you know a, a mask uh, to sort of communicate to the world that I was okay and that I was so okay that I I could do with this body what I chose.
0: To. Was there anybody in your family or friends that just said Andrew, we just watched you almost die for hmm. for all this time and we were there for you like don't do this to us kind of thing or don't do this to yourself uh sort of conversations with important people in your life
1: um you know i'd I'd like to say yes but i think everybody was i think everybody was so glad i was okay yeah and i think in in a weird way what you don't realize about about illness is that uh the people around you in a lot of ways get sick with you you know and, and, and in so many other ways they don't um they don't actually have the agency over the body that's ill in the same way. So for me, you know, I knew what my body was going through and I, you know, to some extent, and I, I felt it within my power in a lot of ways to meditate and push my way through that when you're on the outside you're watching this happen to somebody that you love and so and and so there's a a, a fear of of saying too much or saying too little or you know and so i i think there was a tendency especially in the 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 intervening years of my early survivorship where I was also such a time bomb, you know, and, and I, w- I was really fragile and I, and, and the littlest thing could, could freak me out or trip me up or take me off the scent of my creativity or whatever it was that a lot of people really, uh, I, I think went along with me rather than, than tried to get in my way for any number of a million reasons other than my wife, you know, and, and even she, I think it wasn't until, you know, f- about four, five years in where she finally was like you're a wreck. It's not fun to be with you and you're going to need to, to start looking inward. If we're going to like have a relationship, was it was probably about, if you figure I got sick in Oh five, it was probably sometime around 2000, you know, it's some of those was conversation started between '09 and 11 and 11 was kind of the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back where she's like, time for a shrink and i was like all right here we go let's See, do
0: this so well, now we're getting into the show aren't yeah. we
1: rob now this I, I mean I, I don't know, I, I hopefully this isn't a comedy show cuz apparently I'm not going to be very funny. Here. No. This,
0: <laughs> no, that's not what this show's about at all. In fact, this show is sort of evolved into therapy for me, therapy for the guests, therapy for people out there who are like, you know, a lot of times celebrities, musicians, we athletes, they seem sort of intangible and they sort of seem like they just uh, they just you just can't connect with them. And like I think what this show does is you know, if you don't look, there's some people who have no problems. I had a great childhood. I had this. I yeah. had this. I didn't have the leukemia. Right, and that that's fine. It's just honesty, and yeah. I think people could re- just respect that, I, and I do. And I think I've become more and more honest to the point where my father, he's like, "What episode should I listen to?" I'm like, "None of them." I talk about you and you probably don't want to hear some of it. Yeah, that's tough. That's that's tough territory. It's tough territory. And uh, so, yeah, it's not about being funny. I mean, there's a lot of people that aren't funny on the show. Rob, for instance.
1: (laughs) He looks very serious. I I respect that and I respect that.
0: (laughs) This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's.
1: All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that.
0: Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. Take me back to that time in your life where you know because I in the documentary you, you talked about it briefly, but how important your like your uncle was and your child I, I want to know your childhood were you a, sort of like a a child that just did you have a lot of energy did you always get a lot of attention did you need that, or were you one of those kids in the and goes to the bedroom and just kind of draws and writes and
1: I mean I was a weird sort of mix of both, but I think most people would say I was a really outgoing and you know an energetic kid, but I was also really awkward in the sense that I was you know, I was, you know, from the ages of about seven to fifteen, I was pretty overweight and 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 not much of an athlete. In a, in a world where like that's usually what defines kids is what they're into, you Deped- know, um, competitiveness and like uh, totally. And I was the youngest of five kids, so I think that's where a lot of my my sort of, like you know my parents took me to a, a doctor when I was probably three or four because they thought I was deaf because I spoke so loud, you know, and, 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 and you know, like Rob, see, someone you, can relate, you know? and So, so I wasn't deaf. It turns out I just was, was in loud. a house full of people that I felt the need to scream over the top of, um, you know, <laughs> that's how I always feel. Yeah. So, 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 oh, so no, man. I mean, as a kid, um, I think up until the time that I picked up the piano, um, like all kids you're looking for your thing um and and certainly like the the passing of my uncle was was sort of this this you know moment in my life where things shifted and and i found my thing which was writing and 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 writing songs and poetry and things like that which were very you know as a you know as a nine-year-old these are not you don't have like the the local nine year old poets that get together or anything. <laughs> they're they're playing basketball. So I think there was always a sense for me that I was somewhat on the outside, um, but not in a way that uh, I don't. I don't think I ever felt alienated. I I always found a way to make friends, and 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 I was always kind of I joked I was always kind of political in a sense. When you're when you're a fat kid, um, you're terrified that somebody's going to call you fat. You know, like that is a that's a real thing. Um, And so I lived with that, but I also was so, I think insecure and wanted people to like me that, that through my music, I found this vehicle where it's like, well, I can be the fat kid that plays music and maybe people will at least pay attention to me having this, this, uh, uh, you know, sort of talent that they don't have. And, and maybe that's how I fit in, you know? And, and so music was my, my way in the circles of, of, you know, weird clicks throughout, you know, elementary, middle school and high school and, and, uh, and help me manage, I think my awkwardness and also talk about it in a way that was therapeutic and, 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 you know, didn't mark me with, I think the, the scar of what it can be to, you know, to look different and feel different. What were you right writing?
0: Kid. Like, what were some of the lyrics of like a little boy, like where you were just, uh, I was listening to saved by zero by the fix in my parents' attic, alone, over and over, and it wasn't until twenty years later where I realized the song meant "saved by Zero Means when you're saved by zero, you're essentially saved by the ground. By zero, you can't go any lower, than, go zero. Any
1: lower than zero. So I'm like, God, <laughs> yeah. I was really fucked up. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what were you listening to? I mean, for me early, I was re- I was playing piano right at the age that like grunge was taking hold, you know, and so I I was kind of digging into my my brothers and sisters records and what they were into which was like u2 and rem and the police and and obviously like i lots of billy joel and elton john and and bruce Hornsby because i was a piano player um like those were the those were the records that were big for me i loved pearl jam though and i I, you know there was a lot of stuff out of that 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 grunge era that clicked with me
0: what's your favorite Uh, pearl jam song i just want to know
1: Oh gosh. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't like it. You know, it was like, I bought 10, 10 was like the Pearl Jam record that I, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, it was, I'll embarrass myself with, with Pearl Jam trivia. Cause I, I was about, you know, 10 when I got into Pearl Jam, but, uh. But yeah, I mean, I, but the records that really connected with me out of that era and the stuff that started informing my writing as I got deeper into being a songwriter were, um, you know, was like the Counting Crows and like definitely REM was really huge for me. Um, uh, that was like the second show I ever saw was REM. You know, I never um, got to see them. I love oh God! Them. It was, well, maybe it, they'll come back. It was it was magic. You know, the, the, I still to this day go back to those records and I'm just like, you know, those were guys that that did something different. They always sounded different than everybody yeah. else. And I, I have a lot of respect for bands like that, but yeah, I mean, I was into the doors and, and Hendrix and a lot of classic rock. My, my, my brothers and sisters, you know, toured with the dead in the summer and with fish in the summer when they were out, out of college. And so they'd always bring me back, you know, grateful dead albums and, and, and fish and stuff wow. like that. So, um, you know, so you know those bands Tom Petty and The Heartbreaker, Simon and Garfunkel, it was always kind of a, a mashup of, of classic rock and then what I think ultimately has become the classic rock of the of,
0: of you know that generation. So you wouldn't see someone like uh, I, Friday Night for My Birthday. I brought fifty friends to see Kenny Loggins, Christopher Cross, and Michael McDonald. Oh, Is I
1: totally it, go see that. You would? I've met Kenny before, and he's lovely, and and. Uh, and so sickly talented and even though we ain't got oh god yeah danny's song man what a what a what a jam but uh but yeah so i i i mean i always just leaned towards uh anything with a with a with a great melody and a really well written lyric like that has always been what i look for when i when i find new music and when i when i go to lean on the stuff that that uh, uh you know that that shaped me
0: it's funny because like Right before you came over, I go. You know, I just
1: been listening to his music, and like he kind of reminds me of like I don't know, like
0: there's a Billy Joel thing there. <laughs> right? I don't know, like the songwriting. She's like, well, yeah, he played with Billy Joel. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, Open opened for Billy Joel. And I'm like, he, and then you just talked about Billy Joel. And I'm like, what? The-? But it's present. It's there. It's the, the way. It's the songwriting. It's the it's the way you sing it too. It's like there's obviously that influence there.
1: Totally. I mean, he was, for all uh, intents and purposes my Bible as a, as a songwriter, when I was, when I was just starting, Um, I think like anything, you know, your influences, uh, you develop them over time and you find new music that you're fired up on. And, and, and I certainly do, but there's a thing that happens with the first handful of bands that really move you, especially when you're in these sort of critical formative moments of your craft that, Will be there forever, you know. For me, like that's you know, you know, Pet Sounds was like massive boys, for me. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, Ben Folds' five first couple of records were just like they they were game changing. Oh god, Day just, after cre- what a, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, mean, it, it, I think those those things really uh those things really inform your perspective for your whole life, and and certainly going out and playing with Billy Joel last year and doing a, a handful of shows with him. It, even in this newest record, it reignited a thing for me where it was like, there's something magical about I think what he did as a songwriter that not a lot of people have successfully navigated, which is stories. Well, telling stories, also sonically telling stories. You know, a, a lot of those records were produced by Phil Ramone, um, but even into into the the Courtmart Records, like with, with a or with a like River of Dreams or whatever. Song to song, when you listen to a Billy Joel record while there may be this thread of, of of time, there are all of these different scenes within an album of his that I think are just like... It's it's so rare for an artist's voice to be able to inhabit so many spaces successfully, um, and and you know there are people who will say well like that was you know that wasn't cool or that was the, you know whatever but but he did it so well I mean yeah. you know doing a song that sounds like Motown to a song that sounds like Zanzibar. disco you know Going yeah from or always sounds Zanzibar, like she's always a woman yeah it. Steely Dan like down to yeah. like down to early Beatles like it, it, there's something. Uh, magical, I think that Billy Joel did in channeling his influences that always really impressed me, and then sort of uh, re-impressed me. Not that that's a word, but uh, made a I, second. I make up
0: a lot yeah, of words, But bro. made
1: made a, a second really strong impression on me watching him perform his catalog in, in you know in these baseball stadiums. Did you play those songs at all? Can you play Billy Joel's songs?
0: I you, know, you not was a, it seem like a cover person to me. I'm just not. It's so funny because yeah, I just it, I,
1: I don't get like you're like oh yeah you guys want to hear uh Allentown? Not only that, but like that, I, I, even when people are like, can you play this song of yours? Like, if uh, chances are no, if I haven't been performing it in the past six months. Like, I, you know, I. Why did you even set this piano up here, uh, Rob? Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I actually saw it and I remember Rob saying that maybe there would be a keyboard here. And I'm just like, I don't, don't feel pressure. I don't if even you know what to like, play.
0: So, you don't play covers at
1: all. I mean, I I, I
0: could you play a, a by ear because I know you play by ear. That's kind of your thing, right?
2: You could just. Well, I,
1: I mean, I know how to read, but I mean poorly. But I I mean, I I, I know the shorthand of, of. Could you play New York State of Mind just off your in your head? No, no, probably couldn't do that. No, I mean I could sit down and learn it, but I'm not going to sit down here and play it, and all of a sudden magically perform New York City. Right. There's some for people you. that do that, especially because there's like six verses in that song. But is there? I mean, probably. I mean, most of his songs do, which is the best part. So you were you were overweight as a child.
0: <laughs> Back you, to that, you yes. almost died when your mother gave birth. All right, right. Well,
1: yeah, I, I, you I weren't mean, I breathing. Did, yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of things that that my you know all these things become lore and and so yes so the, the story goes that that i was born really unwell um but it was also i think one of those things where i was going to be fine but there was a chance of you know having one of two strep infections or something when i was born and if it was the other one i would have died but because it was not that one, I was intended to live. <laughs> right. So, but as my parents will tell the story, like you almost died. I don't know if I almost died. I think maybe I, maybe there was a fear that I almost could have died. You were dead, and f- of course, as a parent holding your kid, knowing that there's a you know a fifty fifty shot oh, that you have yeah. this infection. Yeah, in their minds, yeah, I was, I was, you know, I, yeah, of course, and I, I I can understand that as a parent, but I I. You know, I try and demystify some of these things because I, I don't know for sure that that's the case. Right. Yeah. But it's
0: cool to, to kind of make that. Yeah. I, you know, you to, it's
1: storytelling. Look, there's there's no question there were a handful of occasions where I was n- very close to not living in my early years. And I'm, I'm glad that those turned out the other
0: way. <laughs> yeah. Or went deaf. Yeah. No, he's just loud.
1: Just loud. Uh,
0: so... You know, when your uncle passed away, and we don't have to talk about this
1: that much. Right. But he was a great musician, right? No, he was actually my uncle was a remarkable man and a very complicated person. But he was an entrepreneur from the time he was in high school. He was he started a magazine that he he edited out of his, you know my grandparents' garage. Um, that became uh, at the time it was called Industry Magazine, I believe, and it became this like very powerful. Uh, uh, Magazine within some industry, like I, I, again, I don't know that this is one hundred percent true, but he, I, I believe, had a a hand in the waterbed craze of like the seventies and the eighties, like where he published, I think, the magazine where these things were sold, and 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 that was like a, you know, that was how he made, I think, his his first big. Sort Did you ever of, have sex some, in a waterbed? I'm not going to answer that question with yes, because but,
0: it wasn't your wife. <laughs>
1: No, no. My in high school, my best friend had a waterbed. What was his name? Ted? Uh, his name was Adam. Adam. And and I would be lying to say I, I never had sex in a waterbed, but I I you know it was a place that 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 when you had a girlfriend, uh you would, you know, us and, you know, our friends maybe took some some strange joy in seeing what the waterbed was like when, you know, hanging out with your your lady. It it was fun. I only did it once, Rob. You weren't
0: around with waterbeds.
1: I found it to be very uncomfortable. that uh, it, didn't it's it's like, what's going on n- here? there's nothing to press against <laughs>
0: you know just, I mean, you
1: have no leverage, There's, there's no leverage
0: no, point Yeah, it's it's just, it's, you know what it is, it's the lamest sex ever. But if you a, want to do some slow, curvy, wavy lovemaking, get a water bath. I mean, look,
1: yeah, it, it was more of a, a you know more of a embellished makeout session, I would say, but it was it was. <laughs>
0: We get it. We get it. You didn't have sex if anybody's listening. Uh,
1: but but yeah, I mean Adam, I think he I think he knows that we, we used his, his waterbed in this way. I can't imagine he thought we were doing anything else in his room. Can here. you make
0: sure we tweet that? Adam, just so you know, there was some making out on the waterbed.
1: Yeah, the stains. Yeah. <laughs> well Jesus, now you're getting dirty. Oh my god, that waterbed! I, I'll tell you though, because we used to just—that was where we would, you know, in high school, you, you'd get like a twelve pack of, like Bush, uh, you Light. Know, Bush Light Bush or Light. Keystone oh, Ice or whatever yeah. horrible fuck beer yeah. you could get. That was ratcheted up in alcohol percentage. And under Adam's waterbed, there was this thing we called the coffin because there, there was as you know, the structure of a waterbed needs to have space underneath, uh. To allow for the motion of right. the, the, you know, so this one was set really high. And so there was this big empty space under the entirety of his waterbed. So we would drink all of these beers, right? Right. And then we put them in a trash bag because we didn't want to walk past his, his parents. And just with put him. them under the bed? So f- for like all of high school, we were just shoving... Empty beer cans well, and trash bags like under old, his bed. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not, but not any worse than a 16-year-old boy does. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it was at some point his mother, after he had, like, even moved out of the house, his mother, like, was cleaning the room and just found just garbage bags full of, like, the worst <laughs> beer that you could find. And a couple of Andrew McMahon's condoms. No, no. Just kidding. No, I know you didn't an, have sex. An embellished makeout <laughs> session. <laughs> embellished uh, makeout. I don't know where we're going with this. We were, talking about, my, we were talking about my know we were talking about my uncle. So yeah, yeah, yeah. waterbeds. Yeah, beautiful. That was a great uh, conversation about it. So his kind of claim to fame was that at at a point when he was really young and 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 fairly unseasoned as a as a entrepreneur, uh Jane Fonda put out this workout book that was like this popular become became this popular book for aerobics before like before aerobics was this huge trend. And my uncle pitched her on this idea. Well, I want to shoot a video of you doing your workout and and you know there are these new things called VCRs and I really think that people are gonna buy these tapes and they'll work out in their living room with their VCRs. You know, that was my uncle's your concept. Your uncle thought that. That was his concept. And he went to Jane and and she was impressed by his ingenuity and 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 this idea. And so they made the Jane Fonda workout. And and it became Phenomenon, an empire, a phenomenon like nothing else. It was one of the things. So he that, became really rich. Oh, insanely rich, you know. And and as a young kid, you know, as a f- you're four, five, six years old, and I'm, you know, I'm with my dad and my cousin who's the same age, and we're going on a helicopter to the Playboy Mansion so my uncle can do a deal with Hugh Hefner to do Playboy Video. And and wait, you, you went to the Playboy Mansion. Not only did I go to the Playboy Mansion at. The age of like five, but they wouldn't let us in. So we had like one of Hugh Hefner's handlers and my dad kind of like hanging out with me and my cousin over by the pool. It was a quiet day. We, there was no action as far as I recall or was was told. But my cousin and I being five peed in the pool, stood outside of the Playboy Mansion pool, and peed into the pool. And this is like the legend of our trip to the Playboy Mansion on my no uncle's helicopter. Anything? I mean, I, I I believe we were we were allowed to finish. I'm sure much worse has taken place I in think the, the, in the security pool. guard probably goes, <laughs> those kids I, think that's bad. I was really fortunate to get to visit the mansion, you, you know, years later and took my wife to the mansion to a party, you know, where was we it actually... The, uh,
0: what was the party? Do you remember the... Yeah, the-
1: I don't remember. It was a sponsor party, but Hef was there. There was like a topless DJ. I didn't meet Hef. Um, He was, it was, it was really like, it was towards his last couple of years. Um, And, I was with a friend who was a photographer and he shot some amazing pictures of Hef, kind of in this receiving line that were so really beautiful. It kind of just showed this frail dude and still in his velvet robe right. and just kind of the, the end of this, this weird era of American culture. But, um, but yeah, so that, that was my uncle though. He did these incredible things. And um, where did he live? He lived in Newport beach. He, he, uh he, he had he moved around, and then, were you
0: there a lot? Did you always experience like the the ocean and his dear boats Did he have – Was he just like
1: yeah? He had a huge yacht called the Oz. He, yeah, he was he was he was really for our family. And I think the reason that it was such a, a sort of seminal moment for me was because our family. Um, you know, we, we lived on the East coast in the Midwest, mostly, um, you know, my dad's job, he was in retail. So we moved every couple of years, but we generally were on the, you know, you know, to the, to the, to the East side of the, of the Mississippi. And, and, but we spent all our summers in California, staying at my grandparents' house and, and, you know, and playing with my cousins at, at their house. And, and so my uncle was, you know, he was an icon in his own right, but to our family, he was also this, this, really dynamic uh, uh he's a hysterical funny guy and 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 so smart but also you know he there were a lot of things about um about the way that he maintained his empire and you know led a lot of people into his sphere that 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 really kind of were his undoing ultimately and and you know when he passed from from cancer he had he had been through this really horrible thing where you know he was an Orange County Democrat, which was a really, especially at that time in the Reagan era, was a really, you know, he, it put a, I mean, he had a target on his back for for a, a, a huge chunk of his his sort of rise to the top, and he was he was a figure that was. Polarizing politically for a lot of people, and and ended up sort of being embroiled in this ridiculous campaign finance scandal, and was strung up on the national news, and and it was a real trauma for for our family, and and sort of in, in the midst of him trying to make his comeback, he got sick, and so I think, you know that whole arc of his career and his success and the dynamic, you know, this, the dynamic of his personality, um, losing him at that time was, was really, uh, you made a huge impact, not just on me, but everybody in our family, you know, I, I don't think most people, uh, he was just loved. He was, he, just, he, he was loved. And, and when he was gone, it, it blew a hole in our family. That was really, uh, you know, very, profound. it was, it was profound yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, um, and in a sense, I think there was. Uh, it was the first time I had felt grief like that, and I I cried for days when he. And you passed. were eleven. I was nine. Nine. Yeah, it was, I, mean, it was, I was. I mean, I was maybe I might have been eight. It might have been right before I turned nine, actually. And and but it did something to me. Like when he passed, and I and we were close, but close. And he was my uncle, who I saw in the summers. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like he raised like you know he raised me like a second parent or anything. But I idolized him in a way, and losing him, I think uh, it. it put me into this place where I had to fill that with something and music was what was the thing that I, I filled that gap with.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's funny cause you know, again, it's my uncle, it's my dad's brother. He lives in Chicago. I see him twice, once a year, twice a year, but I've always had this connection to him and my aunt. I, I just, the way they listen to me, yeah. I, they, I just felt like they were too you – know, there's a few people in my life that I actually felt as a kid really listened to me and want, were interested in me, Yeah, which is important in your developmental stages. And I didn't really feel like my parents were there. They weren't there. I mean, maybe they tried, but they just weren't present. I didn't feel like they were interested in me. Yeah, And my uncle just – Wanted and even to this day, I'll talk to him about relationships. He's a psychologist, and we'll That's stay amazing. up till two or three in the morning, and we'll talk about things. And I go, "Have you ever done this? Maybe you should see a therapist." You? And we talk, but very yeah. candidly, openly, and uh, so I can relate to you that if something happened to my uncle, I'd be devastated. Yeah. And this was someone you looked up to, and he was uh, exciting and and different, and there was a lot of love. So when that happened, you you say you found music.
1: Yeah, well, I think too with him because I was always more into the arts and I wasn't this athletic kid, right. you know, he was proof that you could with, you know, with a great idea, make it in the, in the entertainment industry, you know? And, and so I'm, it's no surprise that I found music and, and, and my first songs were about him. Yeah, you know, my first songs were about the grieving process. And what was your favorite song then that you remember about him that you just, that always comes to mind? Well, the fir- yeah. The first song I ever wrote was, called Believe, you know, and it was, it was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a story about some version of faith. I mean, it wasn't, I was raised religious, but I never had that, that, that bone really but i but i but i I think it was about the the mysticism of of you know what where somebody goes when they pass and and what they leave behind and what part of that is left with you and and you know but then from there a lot of the songs that i wrote were really about moving because i moved so much and i was always reintegrating into a new um you know culture within our country you know I, I moved from new massachusetts to new jersey to ohio to california to illinois or you know it was like so i was always like having to embed in new spaces and so a lot of my writing and even to this day like that thread is still very present ohio yeah i mean that, and that you know that thread is so present uh, in in my music now that like motion and 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 culture and where you fit into that culture and 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 how travel informs uh, uh perspective i mean those are the things that i think became bedrock of of um my writing it, w- and and that's what I, so much of my music was about was coping with with seeing you know being in a new town and being the new kid and being uncomfortable in my body and how to and how to you know uh, you know make my way through um whatever the machinations of 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 Becoming a part of a, a new school and a new new town,
0: and once you just—it sounds like you, it just took off. Like I, you loved it so much. You were probably in your room writing all the time, new songs, and you started performing in high school.
1: Yeah, I wrote. Um, I just wrote every day, all day long. As soon as I get home from school, I would just write. And yeah, I, you know, there was a there was a sort of a tricky portion of my life where I stopped writing for a year. Which you know, when you're a kid and you've done something from ages nine to. 12 every day, all day long. And then, you know, when we moved to California, um, I stopped for, for a year and, and got the little, depressed truthfully, you know, and, and, and actually started acting, you know, it was, I think that was, cause I'd always kind of did, I'd always done theater as a kid because it was another way to perform I, as a songwriter and you're 10, you don't have a lot of outlets for performance. So I actually got r- really into theater and, and was going to go to Idlewild performing arts school. Like that was going to be my thing. Um, and my dad wouldn't let me. Uh, he thought it was ridiculous for a kid to leave his parents, like you know, for you know, for a, a year of school and not live with them and all that stuff. And 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 it was funny when I got into when I moved to Dana Point with my family and and started high school there. All of a sudden, I started in the theater program. There was a little put off by it, but I realized, like, I oh yeah, you have this skill. You can play piano and sing, and. And so I would be in the theater room and I'd sit down at the piano and I'd start playing these songs. It's amazing
0: how people just love it when someone could play yeah. piano and sing. It's just like that energy mm-hmm. that...
1: Well, and like, this is the things that we do. I mean, we, we're performance artists and, and so we're inherently insecure. And so when you have a talent... <laughs> you that, need attention. And, and, you and, need and, to... you're, and you're in high school and right. you're and um, you know and you're you're trying desperately to make friends like for me i was like man i'm just gonna wander over to that piano and see if anybody turns their head i'm not gonna get laid with
0: my weight i'm gonna get laid with the song (laughs) yeah you know
1: you're just i was just such an uncomfortable kid and 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 all of a sudden i found a i found a, a tribe in there you know and 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 it emboldened me to to keep writing and that was really what got me into it in like this is going to be what I do. And, and performance isn't going to be through theater because the drama teacher was, was really ruthless and, and very much had like a strange vendetta against me and a handful of my friends in that, in that camp. And, and, and so I was like, I'm going to do it through music, you know? And, and so I started just writing and writing and then, you know, high school clicked and I made good friends and I, you know, grew up a little bit and and got comfortable in my skin and, and, found a girlfriend and all of a sudden it was like I started writing these songs that felt more like the songs you would hear in the world right. not exactly like them because it was you know it was still a very different era of music but but uh but yeah that led to starting my first high school band and and the second version of that band became the thing that that, that was signed and Simply got corporate yeah
0: i mean how hard is it to i uh, think of the word insatiable you know Like, uh, for me, it's perfectionism and, you know, trying to get out of that and always having to be the, you know, there's, there's really no such thing as being perfect. You can't be perfect. So do you ever suffer with that? Or did you suffer? Have you learned to work with it and and sort of accept like, Hey, I'm not going to be perfect. I'm always not going to like something about myself, about the music, about, and how you get through that and how you let things go. Are you, was there a time when you, it was hard to let things go and you just, Almost a little manic about it, a little crazy about it, like uh, too much. And have you learned to let that go?
1: I mean, yeah, I I think I could be a really insufferable person in a recording studio at times. You know, my bandmates in something corporate, all of them amazing guys. And I'm so fortunate that we've maintained such good friendships over the years and still keep in touch and see each other. Um, And I think just being successful at a very young age is tricky for anybody you know but i grew up a perfectionist i grew up very uh you know learning to be very hard on mm-hmm. the people around you I- I with the intent of of executing your vision you know and and i always had a very strong vision and still do to this day um and i think what i've learned over time is a combination of what to let go how how to try and be a perfectionist but 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 also not let your your sense of perfectionism get in the way of letting good work out before you kill it too you know and and but i could be very difficult yeah and 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 historically you know not be the easiest person to work with you know i think there are a lot of people who have fun working with me but at, at my worst i can be really tough i could be really tough
0: yeah well how do you let that go that sort of uh I mean you just admitted it in a way, like I'm hard to work with. I can be hard to work with. I can be such a perfectionist, so in my head. And have you ruined relationships with that? Have you um ever apologized years later and said, Hey, listen, I was
1: have you have you done anything like, anything like that? I've done a lot of apologizing in my life for sure. I I believe I really believe in the act of apologizing. I I, I think that, you know, especially when you're when you're a really strong personality, which I am and I, I feel like every day, and especially through getting into therapy and 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 trying to understand myself better, so I can find a way to communicate with the world better, and communicate my vision better, and 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 respect that not everybody is inside my head, even if they're working on my project or working in the room with me. Um, I think it's been a huge part of the process of the last six or seven years for me. Um, I think it would have got there faster if I hadn't gotten sick. You know, I don't blame my illness for that, but I think, uh, you know, when I started Jack's Mannequin, that was such a painless process. By the end of something corporate, making records and doing tours and making decisions was a very painful process. I felt like my vision had been hijacked and I felt, and it it wasn't, but I felt attacked. And we got so bad at interacting with each other that we just acted sometimes spitefully and sometimes not in the best interest of the group or one another. Absolutely. I mean, we weren't ever the type to just really brawl all out. We were, we were, much more political and, you know, talk to this guy and see if you can get him to move. And, and, and that got so exhausting for me. And I realized that's, this isn't a, like a healthy environment for me to work. in. so I started Jack's mannequin and it was so painless and it was flying. And it was like, Oh, I realized like me and a producer in a room can do great work together and we can find a vision and we can collaborate on a vision. It was so collaborative and so painless. Um, the aftermath of that getting back into making records, I sort of fell right back into like, well, maybe I'll bring the band into the studio, and then that those records got very difficult. And um, not to take anything away from anybody else, but I found really over time the way that I work best with people is one-on-one. You know, I, I I love sharing and collaborating with people's visions, but I do find it gets very tricky when you put a lot of heads in a room. Yeah, sometimes that you you run into a space, especially me, who's a people pleaser. I run the gamut of 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 saying yes. Let's go with that idea. Yeah, let's try that. But you're wasting time, or it's a good idea, but it just doesn't lock with what you see for the for the project or the song or the the the, that that thing that you that intangible of your your end game. And um, so I think a lot of the work that I've done over the last several years is is one you know finding out a way that I work that. I feel inspired in a way that gets me to good work and then surrounding myself with people who I really trust and who I want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Um, And And
0: also want to fill your vision, like want to make that come to fruition. Like that's the goal or
1: who have or who have a vision for what they see for me and help to build out my vision for myself. And so it really like I've become super collaborative in this over the the course of these last few records and this this wing of my career, but in a way that I feel like I still have agency over what's important to me, Um, but I'm also getting to to sort of import. All these great ideas from great thinkers that are helping me to achieve that. Um, but but it, at times, you know, especially if you're my day to day manager, and you could have him here, and he'll tell you, you know, there are times where I do get frustrated. And when you're the first, the first in line, uh, and the messenger of, of what can sometimes be bad news, um, you know, I I can still that 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 guy can come out. I try to manage it a lot better, but I also try really hard when it happens and when, when sort of the, I see red and, and, and let it fly. Are you, um, are you a yeller? Can you yell? Can be, you know? Yeah. And I, I, are you I, an F bomber? I swear. Yeah. Profusely? yeah I'm a whore, I have a, a terrible mouth. Yeah. Again, I'm better than I've been. And I, and the big part of it, I think beyond just the, the way I talk to people now, especially when I'm working, I, I really do try when I, when I find myself, saying something that i shouldn't have said or acting in a way that's just not uh that just doesn't it doesn't comport with how you should be in the world if you want to get love back you know that i do really try especially these days to just take a breath and and then make the call to say okay right i didn't handle myself well there how do we get to the The next place how can we fix this or what what can i do to sort of like you know get us on the right page i think
0: that's just maturity that's what you know
1: i've done i've certainly written emails where i'm like oh you know i just
0: don't think this is good and i'll you know and then i write an email and i go oh that's not bad they're men they could they could handle it and then all of a sudden i feel like the the energy is off and they're like upset and like somebody else will read it and go well Maybe you could have just prefaced it with something positive. I'm like, yes. well, why do I need a sugar coat? Well, sometimes you just need to say, hey, here's what's good, and here's what I think we could use some work. It's all about yeah. rephrasing, and I'm like, eh. But I've learned to just – it's easier to sort of just say, hey, Andrew, you're very handsome. You have great hair. I'm so glad to hear you say that. But I really would fucking hate if you don't play a song today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, do you I, – I I mean, do you, do you, I think there's a line and I, you can you can tell me where what you what you think about this. I also think there is a point where it's like what we do is is it's not I mean there are a lot harder jobs, but at the end of the day, when you have to send out a representation of yourself, sometimes you have to be like, no, that sucks. Somebody sends me artwork. Yeah. If somebody sends me artwork that sucks, now if it's the artist, I'm not gonna be like, that sucks. Right. But I will on another chain say this can't. This is not what we're doing. Or this is they're, not they're, for me. Or this person doesn't get what we're doing. Let, right. Let's not go any further. And that's the other thing I've learned is like when something isn't working, just stop it. Sometimes now. it's really best to say, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die on this hill. I'm gonna walk away and do something else. Yeah. I mean, hey,
0: this isn't the right direction, but I really appreciate your work. Yeah. But your art sucks I Honestly I didn't know I was like okay What are we going to talk about There's so much to talk about But I do want to hint Talk about one other thing Yeah talk to me Your wife Yeah What's her name Kelly Kelly Yeah There was a couple of things Kelly You and Kelly are Like sort of at the height Of like you're sort of like This artist And you're growing And you got this record label And all these things And you guys break it off Yeah Right that's what happened
1: In In a few words You broke it off I did
0: and what was your reasoning?
1: You know, it was, it was, uh, first at, of all, you're 22. Well, I was 22, to, and, the, and the, for me at the time, what you have to understand is our break was wrapped up in so much other stuff. And, and a lot of it was wrapped up in this thing. Like I had been on the road for the better part of three years. Make. And when I wasn't on the road, I was making records and we were together through that whole thing. And before and after as well, but, I had just lived with so many people on top of me. And by the time something corporate had had wrapped up, I was just I was just fried. I was tired of being around people, (laughs) you know, not like I I just didn't uh, the intimacy. I had spent so much of the intervening years between high school and, and my early earliest of 20s, like just in rooms full of people with opinions about who I was and and what I was and and uh what i was doing and i just felt in that moment that i was like i just need to not be attached to anything you know and and, that's and sort of what you told her yeah i mean and and it was it was it was horrible because it, it really wasn't that i i wasn't in love with her or that i didn't see us having a future it was just that I, w- I was so confused about who i was you know like those last years of being in in the band, it, it was the the kind of thing where you would say like, this is how it should be. And, and in my mind, this is the way things should be. And then I have all these other people saying, no, we need to go this way or that way. This is the right way. This is the right way. And it, Kelly wasn't one of those people. But but I think just after, in the midst of all that, you know, you're growing, you go from a teenager to now you're a young man. And 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 I, I had made some money and now I had a house and bills and all, all these things. And it was like, And I felt so confused about who I was and what I really wanted to do because the thing that I knew I wanted to do was music and I was doing it, but I wasn't fulfilled all of a sudden. And, and so it was really more an act of just like needing to take control of my, my life and my, my body and my mind and just like explore. And, and I had to do that without any, any attachments. I mean, you can, you know, my parents, I don't even know if it's really covered in the documentary, but like. I had really, I sort of not out of spite or anything, but I had really kind of detached from my family. Yeah, I, I you don't talk about that. I, I had, I had, I had really gone on this solo mission. And the only people around me were like, I had two high school best friends who lived in the house where, where that I had, had bought with my first publishing check. And, and, um, and I spent that year on this kind of like where I was, where i would travel on my own and i would r- write songs in my room and i'd wake up when i want to and i didn't and i you know and i didn't talk to pe- you know people who who were in charge of my business every day and i just like i just did whatever the fuck i wanted for a little while and i needed to yeah you know i, mean, I just
0: at 22 I, years old I, I don't know what i'm doing at 46 yeah <laughs> So you it's do like not a,
1: look forty six. So something's well, working for you. Well, it's
0: yeah. The, yeah, it's the HM Company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> no, they're just—he's a good buddy, and that's. But, really, but good you stuff. know
1: what I mean. Sometimes yeah. you just need that. You need to go on that journey, and um, and it was, it was it was it was really it was really hard. I mean, the hardest part of that was being separated from her because it was like I had this we had this magnetic thing that we were we felt this need to be together, but I also felt like if I was going to go on this this sort of adventure that I had to go it alone. And I had to do that without doing all the bullshit that people do when they're broken up, which is they talk to each other and fight all the time. And I was like, in my mind, I was going to get back together with her. I, it was always in my head that this was, that this was just a side road around a, 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 a better end, but that I needed this thing to take place for us to, to be together. and, and, and so it was hard, but we made this clean break and it was brutal on her and it was brutal on me, but obviously you I can't own any of that because I was the one who did it. That should
0: be the um, title of your next album. What's that? Side Road Back to a Better End. To a Better End.
1: Yeah. I Side mean, Road Back to a Better End. Luckily I feel like I'm on I'm on the right road at the moment. But <laughs> but uh That's my That could be though. that it might be the ne- that might be the documentary of my life. But uh, <laughs> but, uh but uh but yeah and and you know, and we did, we found our way back to each other. Luckily, we did so, and we're doing so before I found out I was sick, but but the the, the real sort of hard work of getting back together largely happened in that hospital room, you know?
0: And what was it? What, I mean, take me back there for a second, because you talk about it in the documentary, but I need to know, like, you're exhausted. You just mixed the album, ironically. Yeah. Um, what was the album? Everything in Transit. Everything in Transit. And that's the same day you found out you had leukemia? Or is that the same day you went to the hospital?
1: So I was in the mix suite all day. Uh, not the mix suite. I was in the, the mastering suite all day with a guy named Ted Jensen, putting the album in sequence and like you know, a lot of transitions to the record and just sort of like putting the album together. It was mixed. Now it was mastered. It was like the day, final day I was on the road with the band. We were we'd just done a huge show in New York that sold out. And, and it, the building itself is in, in the Chelsea Piers. Uh, and it's all concrete. And you couldn't get cell reception in there. Uh, in his in his office so i never I never saw the call and I had this this Polaroid camera that I had always been traveling or had been traveling with I would always go out and take pictures and I was like listen to the record finished was like wow it's done walk downstairs go take Polaroids or whatever sort of inspires me to kind of to, to 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 you know to mark time for this this, and then this the message thing came out. and then I look at my phone and I was like I, I can't even tell you how many messages it was just like message after message after message all from the same doctor's office you need to call us and you need to call us right now finally the message is just like wherever you are whenever you get this go someplace where there aren't a lot of people and call us back you're not well and you can't be outside you can't be anywhere you need to be in a hospital and so i call and he's just like well, by the way just take me
0: there for a second because right there my my, my my heart starts to beat oh yeah there's there's this numb feeling you get isn't there
1: it was the realization of a fear that had been brewing over whatever had been going on in my body. For like the something's last few going days. wrong. I'm tired mm-hmm. all the time. I can't explain that fatigue briefly. Just like I had to sleep. I just I it was it, my voice kept coming and going. Uh, Sometimes it would show up for a show. Other times I'd finish a show and I couldn't speak. You know, I I I was having trouble breathing. Um, And a lot of those things. I was just you know again. I was I was partying so much that it was like. I would just drink my way through it, or just smoke a ton of weed, or whatever. That I, i, I getting anxiety from it. You know, I, was, I was not really an anxious. It wasn't really anxious. I was, I was confused. You know, and I assumed. I think, in my heart of hearts, I assumed it was, it was, was because of this. Uh, this schedule of like the touring that I was doing and the lifestyle that I had been pursuing at the time was like, you know, there were any number of reasons why I could have been not well, you know? And, and so when I, I I mean, I just, I immediately ran back to the suite uh, where we were mastering. I put myself in the, the, the artist sort of area in the, in the mastering suite and called the doctor and he was just like, look, a breeze could blow right now and you could get a cold that would kill you you're you have no immune system he had literally he's this m- brilliant man uh, dr scott kessler um voice doctor in the city he's the one who would take my blood because i was bothering him my voice was bothering me and he he had the wherewithal to go like you don't look well i'm going to take your blood it wasn't a normal doctor i was just trying to get steroids to get my voice to work for a new york show and and uh and he had already called – he looked at my pathology. He called the best doctor in his mind in the city that could deal with it, and it was a hematology oncologist. And, and he said, you need to go right to New York Presbyterian, and, and this doctor is waiting for you. Now, mind you, it's the Friday before Memorial Day weekend, so everybody's about to leave for the weekend. And he's like he's, – he's going away. But he's going to stay there until you get there because he needs to see you. And he – I got in there and they were just like on your stomach, bone marrow biopsy, like just – all of a sudden it was just like, like I was you, just, you just went through a hell storm a immediately. Sh- immediately. Are you just
0: oh, like, Oh, we got to be so overwhelmed at this moment. Like what, what the fuck
1: is this real?
0: Does it seem sort of like they've got me wrong here. They've got the wrong blood work. They'll take it again. I'll be okay. It's not what they think it is. Was there any of that doubt? Or you knew something was,
1: no, wrong? I knew something was really wrong. I, I, I would, you know, there was a moment when, you know, when he sat down and he said, you, you know, and it was within the first, hour or so that I was there, said, You have in my mind one of two things. It's either aplastic uh, anemia or leukemia. Um we're not gonna know which it is until this pathology comes back and it's gonna take a while for it to come back because my bone the from the bone marrow biopsy was my bone was so dry that he barely aspirate anything out of it because it just wasn't making any good marrow. Um and and yeah and he he said uh you know he said those two things and I I just I just kind of sat there and and you know, I called I called one of my oldest friends first. I didn't call Kelly first because I was just like, there's no there, this is not a call that I can make at this very moment. And I called and I just remember just breaking down and us breaking down together. And I'm like, I, I, might, have, I might have cancer, you know. And uh, And yeah, and, and but I will tell you that there was that or surrounding that whole point and it was probably just shock, but I think I was running, I was so hypermanic for a year. You know, I was so. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. All I was doing was creating. It was invigorating, and it was so. It was so wonderful, but it was also so dangerous. You know what I mean? And 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 I was living so fast, and I had money, and you know, so I could get. I could. I could. I could get as much of whatever I wanted, and I could. I could go out as late as I wanted, and I had cash to burn, and I had no one to hold me to account, and I was making really good music. And, so, and now I was on the road and, and it was like – and now we're on the road. You know what I mean? So it's 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 moving even faster. And I felt – I had felt for some time that I was kind of careening towards something, you know? And so when I found out I was sick in some very strange way, there was a peace I had with it because I knew I was careening towards something. And, I, and I, I, I think I felt better about it being cancer than – being like rehab or, or whatever other shit was going to go along with that, you know? And, and, and in a way it was like, it was, you have to stop. You have no choice. You're moving so fast. Your inertia is so intense that something has just said no. And it's your body. And I was ready to listen, you know? And I did. And I was, and I, so I, I was able to approach it very peacefully because I felt like it was, it, it was a piece that I hadn't, had.
0: Isn't it amazing when you talk about all like money and fame and this and that and life and it, nothing matters if you don't have health. I mean, nothing. it's so simple, but health is wealth.
1: It's just, it, it is a, uh, it is a commodity that we take it for granted, you know? And, and there are a lot of things I do that probably aren't so healthy, but I live a lot healthier lifestyle now, you know? And, and, um, but yeah, it's, it's a crazy thing when for every given reason you should, you know, you're young and you should be okay and then you're not, um, you really are forced to forget everything that you're doing. And I was fortunate, you know, I was able to do that. A lot of people in this crazy, weird, polarizing world we live in right now, you know, where we politicize health and how we receive healthcare and things like that. I always just laugh, like, you know, all of us are going to be faced with one of these catastrophes at some point in our life. Some of us by virtue of having money and good health insurance will survive when others don't. And I think that is so wild. And so It's it's tragic and it's, and it's, I think it's a real crime of what's taken place in our politics and what's taken place in, in, in the form of a, you know, capitalism that we've turned the the care of our, our beings, you know, into, into a a commodity for people, because it really is. We need to see good doctors. I wouldn't be here. I I had two forms of insurance and I had access and, and intelligent people guiding the way what I had. There is no question that in the hands of other institutions and, uh, and and there's just not even a question. And I find that, I find that really, uh, uh, it gives me pause when people fight about, you know, about taking care of, of, uh, this disastrous health economy that we have, you know, that we haven't stepped up and said as a people, we need to do it better, you know, whatever that is, we need to come together and do it better for sure.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Uh, kelly she's been sort of the anchor she's still like you guys have been together how long she's
1: amazing yeah we've been i think this summer we will have we would have started dating 17 years ago
0: 17 you have a child now
1: we have a little girl she's four and a half cecilia yeah
0: and as a 22 year old guy going to the hospital broken up with a girlfriend isolating himself needed some time on his own doing whatever to survive that and look look back and see where you are now doing a new album yeah you're you're healthy knock on wood yeah knock on wood uh everything everyday's a blessing
1: yeah what's crazy about that time compared to this time is that this album that I'm that I'm finishing is the first album since that time where I'm back in that town that I lived when when this whole thing happened and I'm writing music the same way I was back then and and in this like in this sense of flow and by myself in a garage with my piano and 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 walking it up to Santa Monica and doing it with this with a producer and I mean it's like there's this really bizarre parallel between then and now but the beauty of it is that I that she's there you know and I would not be alive were it not for my wife. I mean, plain and simple, that at the most critical times in my life, when I needed to be, when I needed to go crazy, she she incubated the worst of my freakouts, you know. And then when it needed to be pulled back to ground, she had the wisdom to say, this is the moment I need to actually step in. You know, she's not a nagging person. She's not, she's, you know, we, we we operate with so much deference to each other as individuals that when she s- speaks up and says, okay, now we need a course correction. I'm like, oh my God, yes, I'm not going to fuck this up, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and to have somebody in your life that knows you well enough, to, that, that, that gives you the latitude to, 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 be every sort of strange uh uh, expression of your inner mind and lets you wander around the house like a crazy person uh trying to put these puzzles together you know and 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 manages to 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 stay grounded herself and is so grounding for me yeah it's it's a it's a it's such a gift and she's seen you in the darkest there's
0: nobody that's seen you that dark that messed up that on the You know, the door, she She knows, yeah,
1: she has, she, the thing is she knows, you know, she knows the the worst places that I've, that I've ended up, you know, and, and, and you can't put a value on that, you know, and she's just, she's just, she rocks, man. She's she's hot. You hear that, killer? Yeah, I mean, it's awesome to actually look at somebody that, you know, that you've known forever and just be like, you're, you as just this person as a whole are, are like more, sort of mystical and beautiful and strange and, 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 you know, so awesome to love, you know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty remarkable thing.
0: Uh, A couple of quick questions. These are just fast. Are you related to Vince McMahon? I am not related. That <laughs> Angelo and Ferguson. Come on, Angelo. What kind of question is that,
1: my friend? Or Ed McMahon? No, no, no. Or Jim McMahon. <laughs> but I lived in the, lived in Chicago when Jim McMahon was the quarterback for the Bears, and we would always get the best seats oh, when my dad would call in to wow. get a reservation back in the, the day yeah. Super Bowl shuffle shit yep, absolutely. Ariel
0: j93 would uh you ever get jack's mannequin back together for a union tour even 15th anniversary of everything in transit 2020
1: yeah i mean the funny thing is like i play with two of the two of the four members of jack's mannequin mean, my last tour bob my guitar player from jack's was out with us so yeah i mean my priority is is to is to create new beautiful Shit, <laughs> you know, and and, and and so, yeah, I mean, I don't doubt like Jacks will play shows, you know, a show here and there at some point for sure, but it's like not the first thing on my mind for sure.
0: Uh, tell us about the nonprofit, real quick.
1: Yeah. So, Dear Jack Foundation sort of began in the in the wake of my my uh survivorship and um. We've really become just this amazing force for adolescents and young adults who both face or are in treatment for cancer or who have survived it. Um, So yeah, we do these two amazing programs, one's called The Life List, uh, where we help Patients who are in treatment, uh, adolescents and young adults, fifteen to thirty-nine, is basically our, our age range, super underserved demographic, way under researched. You know, have worse. Uh, uh, you know, have seen almost no improvement in their survival outcomes in thirty years compared to every other demographic that's exploded. Um, so yeah, one of the big programs is we get in the we get in the hospital room with these patients and we say, let's develop a list of of items and things that you want to do while you're in treatment, so that we can keep you focused on. The, the bright side of things and give you, give you things to look forward to, and, you know, incredible stuff. Kids have gone to tapings of SNL, or we built a play set for a family who just wanted a place to, you know, mom just wanted to see a place for her kids to play so that, you know, when she was convalescing effectively, she didn't have to leave the house, you know, these really powerful things that have built communities uh, of, of young adults. And the program that I'm really proud of, that's informed largely by The experience my wife and I had in survivorship, where we really didn't have anybody there to guide us, and and did it so very alone. uh, We created a a program called Breathe Now, where um, we host. You uh, have a song. You can. There's a song that you can breathe. Yeah, it's kind of it's rooted in. Yeah, yeah, you can breathe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So Breathe Now is 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 sort of the the title came from that song, and and the the program is really beautiful. Where we get um, where we get six couples. into a into a space, usually a very beautiful space for four days, uh, on a retreat uh, that's effectively a wellness retreat where they do yoga and breath work and meditation and things like sound healings and 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 uh, social breakouts where both the survivor and their spouse or partner advocate who went through it with them kind of get to talk about their experience and get to meet other people who went through it and also just learn tools via a really, you know, great, uh, uh, social worker, uh, psychologist that, that comes along with us, uh, to approach survivorship and the, tr- and the difficulty of survivorship, uh, in a healthier way. And that program has been just, it's been in, in insane how, how, much growth you see from these couples. And yeah, we're raising, we're in the process of raising money right now. We're doing a thing called the 200 K challenge where we're trying to raise $200,000 before our benefit show in November. And uh, you know, our, our target is, is, is really close in sight, uh, especially compared to other years that we've done this. It's pretty exciting. Well,
0: Rob would love to donate. Yeah. And I would love to donate. So we'll do that. Make so, sure we do that. Rob I mean, right you after.
1: You guys, if you do 50,000 a piece, we could be done with this thing today. If you
0: do 50,000, he loses his house. I've done it, to Deer Jack.
1: Yeah, of course yeah, he has. Yeah, dear
0: Jack is the documentary. Um, this is a very talented, talented man and a good man, a man who's seen a lot, has faced death, and wow. survived, and has uh, a lot of love to share. And um, this has been a real treat. Thanks, I, man. I appreciate thank you, you being... for allowing me to be inside of you.
1: Yeah, thank you for letting me uh, le- letting me open myself up to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you know what thank it's, rob
1: it's been a joy to have someone inside of me yeah the th-
0: there you go yeah. um so yeah this has been amazing
1: uh what, what are you gonna sing do i have a choice in this i don't really know i honestly it's so funny because like all i've been doing for the last several days is like writing new music so my brain is fried with with uh... can you
0: do uh i mean ohio's tough isn't it
1: i could probably do that yeah it might take a second but i could do that
0: yeah, yeah i think so. i fucking love ohio and yeah. i grew up in indiana give me,
1: give me a minute It'll... yeah yeah let me work it out
2: razor's it At the first sign of light, the car was back And the house was quiet and my sister slept As we started the drive to California where it's warmer Gonna start a new life Gonna miss Ohio, but this time We're gonna get it right Station wagon tigers flying, Katie's counting crows Through the tears in her blue eyes, state lines and capitals Go rushing by as I'm trying to find a station on the radio Everything's gonna be better on the West Coast But I'm not gonna miss the rain Station wagon, tigers flying Katie's counting crows Through the tears in her blue eyes Steel lines and capitals go rushing by As I'm trying to find a station on the radio Everything's gonna be better on the West Coast Baby